You're listening to Never Sleeps Network. Police are still looking for a woman who stole a $17,500 Yoko Ono rock from a Toronto museum. Great. First Yoko breaks up the Beatles, now this lady breaks up the Stones. Welcome to VSP with Steve Patterson. I'm Steve Patterson. This is our first ever episode, so I'm relatively confident it will be our best one yet. This week, we talked to libel expert and actual lawyer Jim Bunting about what we can and can't say moving forward on this podcast, which will also be helpful if you'd like to trash talk someone who may or may not sue you. I'm going to deliver an audio letter, something I'll do every week because, hey, letters shouldn't just be for people who read. And we're going to hear from a couple members of the VSP writing staff. Because, hey, who says writers shouldn't also get to talk? I'll also ask you to listen closely for the charitable cause that today's guest supports and that VSP will be making a donation to in the hopes that others will as well. And we may try to fake sell you something that doesn't really exist. Because, hey, just because the news is real doesn't mean the ads have to be. But first, let's take a look at a few items in the news that deserve to be made fun of, shall we? An anti-poverty group led by U2 singer Bono is challenging Canadian Prime Minister Trudeau to show a plan for gender equality in an attack ad that ends with the aptly worded challenge, Where's your plan? Look, Bono, if that's your real name. I appreciate you wanting to start a fight with another man over who the better feminist is and all. But I don't think the guy who wrote Where the Streets Have No Name is allowed to ask another man for clarification on directions. All right? Speaking of streets, after losing power, the pilot of a twin-engine plane managed to make an emergency landing on a Calgary street. Said everyone who's ever taken a cab from the Calgary airport to downtown, wait, that's an option? Locals said they noticed something was wrong when they saw a vehicle on the road that didn't have truck nuts. Meanwhile, over in Argentina, eight police officers were suspended after a thousand pounds of marijuana went missing from a police warehouse, and they blamed it on hungry mice. So, the mice ate a thousand pounds of weed, eh? I guess they should be on the lookout for cats saying, Okay, but only take half the edible. In intergalactic news, NASA is conducting its first ever mission to study what's under the Martian surface, and we here at VSP sure hope they find interplanetary gun control, women's reproductive autonomy, and people who can take a goddamn joke at the correspondence dinner, because that seems to be impossible to find on this planet! And finally, a new study finds over 3,300 Android apps have been improperly tracking your kids, while another 5,500 have been properly tracking your kids. You know, every day it seems like some new study is released in the news that I need to know about, but I don't have time to read all those studies myself. Fortunately, I have a couple buddies who do have that kind of time and who love reading those studies. They are John Steinberg and Jeremy Woodcock, and they're my studies buddies. Hey, John and Jeremy. Hi, Steve. Hey, Steve, what's up? 
Well, you tell me. First up, uh, John, I think you have some info about spiders. Yeah. So the Smithsonian has identified 18 new species of pelican spiders, which are spiders that eat other spiders. Which raises the question, if there's so many spiders eating spiders, why are there still so many spiders? Mm-hmm. But I've been looking all over for one of these pelican spiders, so I can bring it home to eat the spider that lives in my bathroom. Interesting, but John, I, th- I think then you'd still have a spider living in your bathroom after it ate that other, that other spider. See, I thought ahead. And what I do then is I get a second spider-eating spider to eat that spider. Yes, but then you'd still have a spider, John. You, you can't get to net zero spiders by just adding more spiders. Nah. See what you're saying? Well, maybe I can just crash at your place till it goes away on its own? Mm, I think you're I think you're wrong again there, John. Jeremy, what have you been studying? Spiders. Just kidding. A new study published in the Lancet Medical Journal found that an extra glass of wine each week might actually shorten your life by 30 minutes. But luckily, another study published in the journal Progress in Cardiovascular Disease found that an hour of running adds seven hours to your life. So I did the math and I think I just thought of a real fun way to break exactly even at the gym. Okay, I think I see where you're going here, Jeremy, but that seems a bit reckless, doesn't it? Yes, it does, and thank you very much. Even 12 glasses of wine for every hour on the treadmill, you'd still be gaining one hour of life in the end. Only downside is the more wine you drink, the trickier it does become to do that math. Uh, I don't know if that's the only the only downside. The other downside might be you're getting completely hammered in public wearing gym shorts. Sounds like somebody who's never been to Boston Pizza with me. It's a treat. Well... Never say never, Jeremy. That that sounded like an invitation to me. Now, seriously, how have they not figured out wine yet? First you hear it's good, then bad, then good, then bad again. What, what is wine? Jeez, that sounds like sour grapes, Steve. Do you get how I... I that, okay, that, I'll give you a full point for that. Say, Jeremy, have you read the other study that showed eating spiders counteracts the damage from wine? Wait, John, are you just trying to trick me into eating your bathroom spider? Not if you're going to make it into a big thing. Okay, I think we'll stop there. Thank you, John and Jeremy. Do you remember my sour grapes joke? From yeah, yeah, they were both uh, about equal there. Thank you. There you have it, listeners. I'm not at all sure I'm still listening. That was Studies Buddies with John and Jeremy. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. If you're a regular listener of podcasts, then you're probably wondering when someone on this podcast will try and sell you a mattress. Well, guess what? It's happening because it's time for you to buy a 100% certified podcast mattress. Why buy a mattress from a store like an animal when you can buy a mattress you've never seen from a podcast you're only half listening to while also checking Instagram to see if that cute guy who builds tiny houses has followed you back? Podcast mattress is easy to unpack, easier to move, and the easiest of all the podcast mattresses to get laid on. Podcast mattress comes in three convenient sizes, king, queen, and twin, because you could totally adapt to that minimalistic lifestyle of tiny house guy is single. Podcast Mattress, the only mattress advertised on every podcast. And now, Steve Patterson reads a letter he wrote, but didn't know where to send. Dear Canadians, you know we're all in this together, right? With NAFTA going into what feels like its 47th round of renegotiations, we should be offering a unified front 
and encouraging Canadians to support each other in business and in life, full stop. Instead, we have our Supreme Court ruling that a thirsty New Brunswick man can't bring beer home across the provincial border from Quebec due to an interpretation of a weird old law that was written before women were considered people, let alone craft beer was considered good. And we have the provinces of Alberta and BC in an all-out trade war, with one premier threatening to let the other province's people freeze in the dark, and maybe even worse, threatening to not drink their wine? All of this over an oil pipeline that will bring either a financial boom to Alberta, or an environmental disaster to BC, or both. Which our Prime Minister chimed in on by saying, this pipeline will be built. Or, to paraphrase slightly, sorry BC, but I need Alberta to like me more than they liked my dad. WTF, PMJT. Point is, all Canadians have something to offer each other. And together, we have a lot to offer to the rest of the continent and the rest of the world. So while it's nice to sign free trade agreements with neighboring countries, let's not forget to be nice to each other because we're all neighbors too. And nice neighbors don't charge each other for drinking their beer or threaten each other for not wanting a potential environmental disaster to run through their kitchen. The world has enough arseholes in it without Canadians being arseholes to each other. So come on, Canadians, let's talk things out over free beer, maybe in the pristine Canadian outdoors that haven't been harvested for fossil fuels, yet, and figure out how we can maximize what Canada has to share without simultaneously minimizing each other. Here's truly Steve Patterson. I was very excited to interview our first guest today, not just because two of our writers, Diana Francis and Jennifer McAuliffe, if you'd really like to know their names, thought he was so handsome that they put on ball gowns for his interview, but because he's an actual expert lawyer who didn't charge me an hourly fee for this interview, which is pretty much a miracle. He's a partner in litigation, an experienced trial lawyer in class action, defamation, and a variety of other types of law that end in shun. And he also happens to be a graduate of my alma mater at UWO, so we're basically the same degree of smart. He joined me in the studio. Please enjoy Jim Bunting. Thanks, Steve. Uh, pleased to be here. And, and I suspect you have a higher degree of intelligence given that you chose not to be a lawyer, but uh, oh, and man. a comedian instead. But you, there we are. <laughs> you turned that around nicely. I was going to. Well, you have not only law, but you had. Did you get a minor in philosophy? Is that what I read? I ended up with a minor in philosophy, yeah. Does that help in law? Uh, it allows you to ponder things deeply and not go anywhere. So, no, not, not particularly. <laughs> Depends on what kind of lawyer you want. That's true. Well, yeah. philosophical. I, th- I would think a minor in psych might come in handy. In, in uh, absolutely could, especially dealing with, you know, with lawyers and partners generally, yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I will not ask any philosophical questions today. We'll stick to the law stuff, I think. But let's see what it opens up. You had your law degree from Western, and now you're a lawyer. And I have my business degree from Western, and I'm doing a podcast. So... <laughs> We won't, we won't say who, who made better use of their degree at this point. We'll leave it up to the listeners. Can you explain to us, briefly if possible, right out of the gate, the difference between libel and slander? Sure. For many purposes, there no longer is a difference for practical reasons, but the actual difference is simply explained is libel is something that is typically put in writing, and slander is something that is just said. So for your purposes, for the podcast, because this is a broadcast under our Libel and Slander Act, what you're saying, regardless of the fact that it's not put in writing, is treated as a libel. 
But historically, slander would be something you'd say offhanded. And, and the actual uh, history to that, if you care to get philosophical for a moment, sure, is that back in the day, not everybody was literate, not everybody read. So uh, when you put something into writing, it had a, a stronger sense of permanency, and it was there for a longer period of time. And so for that reason, the law of libel evolved a little bit differently than the law of slander. It's interesting, we're going to jump right into this. In the world we live in now, in the format we're on right now, which is yeah. going to be online in a podcast, do all the laws of traditional broadcast immediately apply or is the new media sort of a, a bit of a wild west still? It can depend a little bit in the context and the platform, but in a scenario where you are making a podcast and posting it onto the internet or making it otherwise available for purchase by the public or listening by the public. If people don't want to buy it, Steve, I don't mean to be offensive, but I have no idea where the podcasts are going to go. We don't. We don't either. <laughs> um, that would be considered broadcast under the Libel and Slander Act. See, we figured a few ways around this. Yeah. First of all, if we do a podcast and no one listens to it, did it really happen? It's a bit like a tree falling in the forest, but different. The actual answer is no, you can't commit defamation if, if no one receives the information. There has to be a recipient. There's our loophole, Alex. But even one is enough. And there's always that one guy, right? <laughs> well, right now it's just us. If we if we say anything against each other, we're open season. We also wondered, again, this might be a longer answer than we have time to go into, but Canadian versus American laws on this, it seems to be quite a difference in America, even though it's a more uh, litigious society. It seems they can get away with things down there that uh, either are not tried for some reason up here or that we couldn't. Is, is there a big difference in the laws between the two countries? There are a lot of similarities uh, when it comes to defamation law, but there are some significant differences as well. For your purposes, the short answer is it's way easier for you to get sued here in Canada than it is for you to be sued in the US. Why, why is that? Just in terms of the yeah. law? So there's two primary differences. The first is that in the United States, the plaintiff, whoever sues for defamation, has to prove that the statements made about him or her were false. In Canada, if the statements are defamatory, which means that they have, uh, in the mind of a reasonable person, lowered the esteem or reputation of the individual whom they were the comments were said about, then they are presumed to be untrue and defamatory. And uh, the plaintiff, therefore, doesn't need to prove that they were untrue. The defendant has to prove as a defense that they were true. So it's a reverse onus scenario in Canada as compared to the US, and that makes it a much more favorable regime in Canada for a plaintiff. The other major significant difference is that in the United States, if you are commenting on a public figure, there's not an absolute immunity for anything that you've said, but it's a much stronger level of protection. You would have to show in order to establish defamation about in regard to comments made about a public figure in the United States, you would have to show that those comments were made either with knowledge the comments that were being made were false or with reckless disregard for the truth of the statements. Now, that's very interesting here because in Canada, we do have shows, you know, we'll talk about satire and parody a little bit as well. So obviously, in a case in the United States where Alec Baldwin does a Donald Trump on a weekly basis and obviously makes him come out looking if it's possible, even even more foolish than he actually is. Here in Canada, it seems that we don't do as many of those types of things. Is a loophole perhaps that if the impression is not accurate, that they don't know who you're talking about? Well, well, the, if, if by meaning, if I did the impression, for example, right. and no one knew who the heck it was, then yeah, that's not going to be defamatory. You have to be able to link the statement to an actual person in order for it to be defamatory. You don't need to use the person's name, but there has to be enough context and substance so that you can identify the individual who's being defamed. Uh, in the case of Alec Baldwin's impressions of President Trump, I think everyone knows who he's talking about. There's so. no ambiguity about it. But he, he certainly is pushing the envelope there compared to what you would see here in Canada, I think primarily for the reasons I alluded to a moment ago. But 
as long as you're saying factual things, right, then you, you have a bit more of a, I guess, a case as to not being defamatory. If you're just stating what's public knowledge that's happened, yeah. then you make a comment on it. Is that outside of the field of law as opposed to if you yeah. uh, embellish the truth? So you've conveniently blended about three different legal defenses. Thank into you very one much. Sentence. I think that was quite impressive, Steve. I but- learned that at UWO <laughs> in business class. <laughs> uh, you probably learned that at the SEEPS, but let's, yeah, uh, that's true. let's talk about that another time. Yeah. So I, I think the first thing I would say is that if you make a, a statement or make a series of statements or put on a skit that is incapable of being believed by anyone as a statement of fact, that can't be defamatory. So I'll call that the silly defense. If it is just so silly and outrageous. Write, write that down, please, Alex. <laughs> silly defense. <laughs> We're making new law as we go. <laughs> I love Surprisingly, it. you won't find the silly defense in any legal commentary or textbook, but <laughs> I love you it. heard it here first. We're setting precedence yeah. here today. I love this. So there's that requirement. And if it's just so outrageous and silly that no one would believe it as fact, then you couldn't be sued for defamation for it. So if you keep things really outlandish, you're good. The, the next defense that you were alluding to is truth. Truth is always a defense. So that's sometimes why somebody wouldn't sue for defamation, because if someone says something about you, and we can use your example of President Trump and some of the things that Mr. Baldwin has done, if Mr. Baldwin were to defend those comments and say, well, it's true, President Trump would have to engage in a debate about the merits of the truth or the falsity of those statements. And sometimes a trial isn't something you want to do on some of those types of issues. So truth is a full defense. And then the third is fair comment or expressing an opinion. So if you express an opinion about facts that are publicly known and which are accurate, you're entitled to that opinion as long as it's a reasonably held opinion and you aren't expressing the opinion for some ulterior reason, by which I mean you had some sort of malice or underlying rewrite. So, you know, the whole Alec Baldwin, President Trump exchange that we're seeing now over Twitter Twitter is an interesting uh, question from a libel law perspective. Okay. Now we're talking about the reason, and I like that you said the reasonable person, because I always have heard of it as the reasonable man. So is it, has the, the dial moved on that now? Because we had a question we were going to ask a little later. And it was going to be great about, is the reasonable man now a woman? But uh, who, how do we decide what the reasonable man is? So I think I've been advised in all uh, scenarios leading towards this topic to not answer. Uh, no, I'm, ju- I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> the, the reasonable man is That's what you- That's unreasonable. <laughs> yeah, the reasonable man is what you will find in, in most of the historical cases. I think lawyers generally now tend to to say the reasonable person because both men and women are equally reasonable. Or if you ask my wife, women are far more reasonable than men. It simply depends. But that's the appropriate <laughs> test. Um, try to insert a rim shot in there if we can. <laughs> law, law, understandably. I'm not going to comment on that. Law, <laughs> law, understandably, has evolved over time along with uh, societal trends. So I think reasonable person would be the, the correct term that I would use these days. But ultimately, it's the same legal test. Now, this is a rule that we found in our research, and I really want to get clarification if we can from this, but maybe it's a whole other field of law, that there's a rule about being able to freely speak without recourse within the House of Commons, but once outside, you can't say the things that you could say inside about a person personally because it's in national interests. Could you talk to that a little bit? Well, it explains a lot about our legislative debates, don't you think? (laughs) Yeah, they get get pretty mudslingy. So, yeah, there's something called absolute privilege. And there are certain forums or mediums in which, I should say forums, not mediums, forums in which you can say whatever you wish as long as it's in the context of whatever that forum is. So in the case of legislature, as long as in the context of the legislative debates, you can't be sued for defamation. There's another absolute privilege that attaches to comments that are made 
during court proceedings if you're testifying. If you testify to facts A, B, and C, that's protected while you're testifying. If you walk out onto the courtroom steps and repeat the same things and they're not true, you can be sued for defamation. And in a real-life example, is that what we were seeing going on with uh, Finance Minister Bill Morneau when people were talking about some decisions that had been made and then the conservative leader was going at him personally and basically accusing his character. And then he his, his response kept being, I'd love to see you say that to me outside, which seemed weird. It seemed like a bar fight where you're asking someone to step outside. That's what yeah. I thought it was. Yeah. But I guess there's a legal reason that that in, was happening. In the legal sense of the world, he was calling him out to a legal fight. A yeah, legal rather fight. Than a, rather than fisticuffs, which would be, you know, the very archaic terminology we use in the law. <laughs> I challenge you to pistols at midnight, <laughs> good sir. Well, um, only in the U.S. It's too hard to get a firearm here. Yes, thank God. Yeah. Thank God for that. We also had a question on whether, and this is just going back to something that I should have said earlier, but is there uh, something to do with where the statement is said at all? Um, so if we're doing a podcast here in Canada and uh, we're saying something and we're under Canadian law because that's where we are, but if we go record this podcast, say, off the shores of the Cayman Islands, yeah. can we then say a bunch of stuff about Canadians that we couldn't have said here because we're not saying it from Canada? So it all goes back to whether or not anyone listens. <laughs> There's a lot of reasons why that's, that's important to you, right? So, so <laughs> the law in Canada, at least, is that it's it's where the where the the broadcast is received, and if the broadcast is received here in Canada and causes harm here in Canada, then it's actionable here in Canada, and they can go after us. And they can go after you. Yeah, I honestly it, think that question's it, only there because my writers want to go to the Cayman Islands. I think that's exactly <laughs> why that's in there. It's harder to reach you in the Cayman Islands if they actually want to collect, but <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And the other thing we thought was, could we record this podcast in the House of Commons and therefore be immune to any of these defamation laws because we're inside the House of Commons? That is very clever as an idea. First of all, I'd like to see you get into the House of Commons and set up your equipment and actually I can try do it. it. I can do it. Kevin Vickers is a buddy and he right. will do the lead block and then I'll just blockade myself in there. So there is no precedent for, for that sort of an approach. I'm going to go out in a limb, I think a big limb, and I'm going to say you'd still be screwed. Uh, if you made defamatory comments in that setting. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's not so much where you're situated, but the context in which you're saying it that matters. Sorry, man. Man, law is difficult. We thought we really found a loophole there that no one else had explored. <laughs> On a serious note now, we do like to make a, a donation for charities because we don't have a, a big budget here, but we do want to make sure that the money goes towards something worthwhile. So um, could you tell us a little about the charity that we're making a donation to on your behalf? The charity that I would be grateful for you to make a donation to is an organization called Campucha Gaius, and they okay. provide uh, programming to children who uh, are affected by childhood cancer here in Toronto and also provide programming in London and Hamilton and in Ottawa. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you very much, Jim. And last, last, last question. We like to try to see if our guests want to fit themselves into a VSP acronym, and I'm putting you on the spot here, but if you could describe yourself as a, as a, a VSP, what do you think it might be? I have no idea what you mean by that question, Steve. I'm sorry. Well, you for instance, I would say Jim Bunting yeah. is a, a very solicitous person because oh. you say things that are interesting and you uh, do things on people's behalf. So, Well, I, I think having having coined the silly defense, I should probably just go with a very silly person. Very silly person. Yeah. All right. Self-described. Yeah. I like it. There it is. Thank you very much, Jim Bunting, for being not only a smart, informative, and funny guest, but also goddamn handsome. I hope I can say that to your face. 
always been told I have a face for radio. Thanks. Well, they are wrong. (laughs) And that's it. Our first episode of VSP in the podcast books. Thanks again to our guest, Jim Bunting, and all of you new, fresh-faced listeners. Or maybe, like Jim said, there's just one guy listening. Which is also fine, unless that guy sues us for libel or slander. In which case, good luck finding us in the Caymans, buddy! If you'd like to donate to Jim's charity of choice, Camp Uchigeus, please go to NeverSleepsNetwork.com and follow the links from there. And be sure to listen to our second episode next Wednesday, when we'll be talking about the huge influence teenagers are having in the world with teen activist Hannah Alper and social media maven Taylor Fulton Gurgis. Follow us at VSP Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and check us out on NeverSleepsNetwork.com. Until next week, I'm Steve Patterson. When I'll also be Steve Patterson. VSP is a Funny Patty Inc. and Never Sleeps Network production. Produced by me, Alex Ross, and associate producer, Diana Francis. Written by Steve Patterson, with Diana Francis, John Steinberg, Jennifer McAuliffe, and a special appearance by Jeremy Woodcock. Edited by Joseph Ianni. For more information about VSP and other great Canadian podcasts, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. And please follow our socials at VSP Pod. See you next Wednesday. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. Never Sleeps Network.